This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high-value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hey everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Security Operations podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Jack Naglieri. Jack is the founder and CEO of Panther, a cloud-scale security analytics platform. Prior to starting Panther, he spent six years as a security engineer in some of the most sophisticated security teams on the planet in Yahoo and Airbnb. While at Airbnb, he was the co-creator of an open-source enterprise security monitoring platform called StreamAlert. That quickly became a huge success, gathering thousands of stars on GitHub and helping organizations analyze hundreds of terabytes of data every day. After experiencing the success of StreamAlert, he was inspired to build a successor. And in 2018, he made the leap to become the founder of Panther. Welcome to the podcast, Jack. Thanks, Thomas. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about the life of a security professional on the Paranoids team in Yahoo and in Airbnb. What were some of the challenges you were working on? There were a lot of challenges there. I think the biggest one is scale. And in Silicon Valley, we we have problems that a lot of other people don't have. And I would say scale is one of them, complexity is the other. And those things come from just very sophisticated production environments, very large scale ways of serving applications and large organizations and things like that. So those two jobs are vastly different, by the way. So Yahoo, as you can imagine, was a bigger, more monolithic company that had been around for, you know, 18 years when I was there. And they just, they had infrastructure that was literally 18 years old. So securing that was a challenge in addition to all of the other things that Yahoo was building. When I went to Airbnb, it was completely different. And in a lot of ways, it was so much smaller. I was like, oh, this is going to be easy because Yahoo was probably at least 10x the size of their environment. So I had come from learning how to deploy security tools at that scale, that massive scale where you just don't know if you know 20,000 of the machines are even going to work. So the way that you start to think about building that mindset of like, okay, how am I going to collect logs from all these different places? You build a really strong and dynamic muscle there. And going to Airbnb, which was a much simpler environment, was kind of easy in the beginning. But it was really different and challenging because it was all cloud-based. So that was a fully new set of infrastructure and paradigms and everything that I had to learn. So I kind of started from zero at Airbnb with regards to my cloud knowledge. And my manager at the time was very bullish on all the serverless applications and serverless services that AWS was building, like Kinesis and Lambda and SQS, and obviously S3 is the most canonical one. And we decided that uh, we really wanted to build a SIM or we wanted to build a, a new way of doing security monitoring that wasn't reliant on a traditional SIM. Nice. And it was, I guess that was where you felt the need to create a platform like StreamAlert, right? So what were some of the challenges that you saw with the existing stack that caused you to go out and create StreamAlert? So prior to Airbnb, myself, my manager, and my one corker at the time, 
we had all come from bigger companies. So Facebook, Yahoo, and Dropbox. And in all those companies, we had used you know, the most canonical logging platform that most security teams use. And we just ran into a lot of issues with it. We ran into the scale problem of you know, wanting to collect terabytes of data per day. It was just extremely challenging in that platform. And it led to us having a ton of overhead and just really being distracted from the core reason that we do security, which is to identify attacks, respond to them, and then learn from our you know, lapses in, in security and you know, don't make those mistakes again. So we just felt a lot of operational pain and costs that's associated with that. And we were really moving towards a world where things are all automated. And we didn't want to do anything manually anymore. Like the whole world of looking at dashboards and trying to find the one peak or something where you're like, oh yeah, that's the breach. You know, and then you go hunting through log lines forever. You know, like the, those days were just kind of fading away. And it's honestly not possible at the scales that we had operated at. So we wanted to build something that was basically like infinitely scalable without any of the ops overhead, which is what serverless gave us. And it also gave us um, like usage-based pricing, which was much, much cheaper than the alternatives. It also gave us the ability to write code over our logs, which was awesome because we got a ton of expressibility with Python. And it really changed the way that we even think about doing log analysis. And this just allowed us to continually scale, add as much data as we want, and uh, have it land in a very structured manner in, in S3 which we were querying at the time with Athena, later learned that you know, Athena is not the most scalable thing in the world in that it's just a little slow at a very high scale. But those primitives were really what we needed to kind of take that, those next steps and really take that like step function improvement over what we had been dealing with prior. That's awesome. I love that Like you went out and solved your own problem, your own challenges. It's not often that, uh, I suppose, Many security teams will say, actually, I've got a problem with my own SIM. I'm going and kind of create their own SIM. It's a bit of a different build versus buy challenge that I don't think many people would, uh, would go out and go out and do that. When did you know like this was successful or how did the security community react when you, uh, when you decided to open source it? It reacted quite well. We open sourced it at a conference called Enigma in 2017. I went up on stage. I had like crazy hair at that time and just. <laughs> I was like much younger and me as a security engineer. So, you know, it was very immature at that time, the product, you know, it was so new and it was quite hacky, you know, a lot of little scripts put together with some Terraform and it worked and it was repeatable, which was great. But, you know, by no means was it like a stable enterprise piece of software. And we just kept finding that more and more security teams and really respectable tech companies started using StreamAlert. And that just kept growing and growing. And the funny thing is, is I didn't even actually realize how many people used StreamAlert until I left Airbnb and then started really digging in and like asking people, hey, what are you doing with StreamAlert? I saw that you, you, you know, started the repo or, you know, I, I noticed you contributed something. Like I'd love to understand your use cases and just get a sense of, uh, of what value it's bringing you. And that was super enlightening and it really revealed the scale of like how many people actually use it. Nice. Um, ultimately, I suppose that success, you said you, you left your Airbnb as a result of it, but ultimately that success led to an interest from investors in the StreamAlert platform. And I guess it gave you the opportunity to create Panther. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that journey? Yeah, it's absolutely crazy if you think about it. <laughs> I had a random investor reach out to me that I had never met. And 
he was like, Hey, Jack, I saw Streamalert. It's a really cool project. And, uh, you know, I run a venture fund and I'd love to just chat and learn a little bit more about it. And as an engineer who, you know, has no entrepreneurial experience, I was pretty much just like venturing into the unknown. And yeah, I decided to reply to the email. And, you know, thankfully I did, or else we wouldn't be here talking about it right now. But I responded to the email. I go meet the guy. We meet up at this, um, it's kind of like an incubator we met at. And it wasn't his own, but it was just another office in San Francisco. And we had like a three-hour conversation the first time we met about it. And I was telling him about how security teams really need something like this just because they've been burdened so for so long on you know the scale, the cost, the operational overhead, the lack of automation, like all these other things that are that are driving people crazy. And his perspective was actually this would be really cool as an ops tool. But I pulled back and I was like, well, it could be both at some point, but I'm very set on it just being security. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that I want the company's purpose to be very clear. So what we ended up doing is we had several other conversations and sort of put together a quick game plan. And then I, you know, I did the kind of crazy thing and quit my job and did it and uh, had no idea what was going to happen. But you know, I'm thankful that I made that journey. I made that decision to leave and and start the company. And you know, we've done all right since then. So that's the founding story. I don't think I've ever actually even like said it publicly. But yeah, that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, it's really exciting. You shared a little bit about it on Twitter, I suppose. But yeah, it's great to hear it. And um, even taking the leap to become a founder is a is a huge risk, and it's an incredibly exciting move. But when did you know that you had a you know, you were onto a good thing. When did things start clicking? When did you, how did you get your first couple of customers? It's a great question. The first year and some change was super uncertain. Mm-hmm. And as you can probably imagine, as a new startup going into the sim market, it's very intimidating and it's so deeply entrenched. So you can likely imagine us having these conversations with companies like, hey, do you want to be a design partner? And they're like, well, I think these like 20 things that would each take like an engineer like, a year to build, you know? Mm-hmm. So we were like, man, this is going to be challenging. We need to figure out some way to show quick value here. So we developed and developed through 2018, 2019. We had like some initial conversations, nothing really went anywhere. And we made the decision in 2019 to be like, hey, why don't we open source Panther? Why don't we just take all the things we've built, which is you know, the evolution of what we had started with StreamAlert and was rewritten in Go and had like a UI and a handful of other features that I really wanted to build into StreamAlert that we ended up building in Panther. We put everything into a repo, we open sourced it. And the idea was that we would upsell people into the more enterprise version that was more geared towards investigation and, and searching the data and, mm-hmm. you know, pulling in SaaS logs and the typical like SSO and, you know, RBAC and things like that. So. That was our plan. We open sourced it in January, put it on Hacker News, and like it, you know, got a few hundred GitHub stars. It got like I think to about like nine hundred at the end of that year. Before we, you know, we actually ended up closing source the following year. But I do think that the open source was our wedge to to get people interested in Panther and get them trying it. And then that actually led to us closing a handful of customers that year. But that was the year that we actually got our first ten. So, you know, we open sourced in January. Our first customer was in June. And then we just kept selling and selling throughout the year. And then at the end of the year, we were like, okay, we have a business. Let's like see how far we can take it. And then 2021 was crazy. 
and we took it really far. And now we're at a point where, you know, our team has grown to, you know, about 150 people. So it's taken off pretty rapidly. And we've got an amazing cohort of customers, you know, Dropbox and Coinbase and Figma, and just like the list goes on these sophisticated security teams that really want to push ahead and, and go to this world of like automation. But yeah, that was kind of the beginning of how we really got our first several customers. It's an absolutely fascinating story. I suppose when you were approaching, I know like Panther was open source at that point, but when you were approaching the likes of Coinbase or Dropbox or Figma, what did they see in Panther that was different than the traditional SIM? What was the, and for people listening, what are the differentiators that you're like, this is what's wrong with the market and this is how we approach solving it? The first one that I would say is the ability to analyze your logs in Python. And as security practitioners, this is actually a very like innate common thing that we've done for so many years. We've written little Python scripts or bash scripts and we've analyzed logs that are on servers. And then we're like, okay, here's these like 20 log lines that show the attack happening. And, you know, let's put that in a, in a text file somewhere. And then, you know, we'll come back to it as our investigation, you know? So it's that idea, but streamlined, you know, we're instead of looking at the logs on a system, you're streaming them and then you're analyzing it with Python, but it's really the same thing. And uh, I don't know how many people make that connection, but in a lot of ways, it's just uh, a more formalized version of the hackiness that we did in the past. Yeah. So that's one thing that draws a lot of people in. Yeah, I come from a... uh... Well, a background with some legacy sims, your uh, your McAfee and your Nitro sims, and it was just a case of like, yeah, finding using some queries to get some logs, and then being like, I can't do this, and I can't do this in the platform. I'm going to download and just write some. And I'm yeah. definitely not a developer. Just write some hacky scripts to get to parse out that information. So you're really like lowering the barrier to entry for security analysts, for security engineers, in order to be able to get them to build out more sophisticated and better better detections. And it allows security analysts and engineers to up level their skills. Yeah, massively. It's a very easy way to be like, cool, I'm going to go learn Python on security data in a platform that's basically set it all up for me. And it's awesome because you can learn so much by doing this and you can really truly understand how to write basic rules and write much more advanced rules that cover a variety of use cases and in a lot of ways are more efficient. They're safer, they're testable, they're sustainable. You can commit them to, to version control, you know? And that's sort of the follow-on effects of using detection as code. You know, you, you get that collaboration, you get that reliability, and it actually helps a lot for compliance as well, because a lot of compliance frameworks are like, you know, what's your process for shipping new detections? And how do you make sure that they are, you know, consistent and valid and safe over time? So those are all the things that I love about detection as code. And that's what our customers love as well. They love the control and the, the accountability around it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the security data lake element. Mm-hmm. And... Security data lake is just a fancy way of saying a like serverless data warehouse. And the benefit that you get out of that is scale. We've always struggled with taking in huge amounts of security data and putting it somewhere where we can just query it forever. It's like never been possible, really. And teams have just struggled because they're like, oh, my BI team has this like amazing data warehouse that like we can't use for security. And I would love to be able to write SQL over my data or just have an ability to query our like always query logs from like eight months ago. You know, that was just like unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And now with technology like Snowflake and Databricks and, you know, even the things that Amazon and, and Google are building, you know, it, it's become much more approachable. 
but it's still challenging because you have to ETL that data, meaning you have to convert it from its raw form into a structured like column-based storage. So that's really what Panther does. Like we take in logs and then we give you a nicely structured data warehouse so you can query SQL. And that gives you scale. It allows you to save on cost as well because you're not having to linearly scale your compute nodes. So with like a Splunk, Elastic, whatever, the storage and compute is, is coupled. To get more data in, you have to scale that up. But with Panther, you don't have to do that. Just because everything's serverless, it's all elastically scalable. And the uh, data warehouse layer is actually separated. So it's immensely useful for security and it allows us to just operate it like these crazy scales. And then it allows you to do really cool stuff like create indexes on your data and, you know, extract certain fields and do lookups and like do all sorts of really cool data things. And we have the ability in Panther as well to schedule queries on the data warehouse and be like, okay, every day I want this to run. I want to look at like the distinct number of hosts that you know, Thomas is logged into, you know, like things like that. And then I want to feed those results back through Python. And you can imagine like the amount of things that you can start to customize and create. And it's like a really robust ecosystem. And it's the basis of so many things that we could build for security monitoring. It's like super exciting. And yeah, that element as well is really what sets up the scalability on response. And then the scalability on detection comes from the cloud native piece, which is probably the third thing I would list, which is a differentiator where you just feed us data, it elastically scales and you don't worry about it. There's of course scenarios where, you know, it's not always that simple. For example, like pulling in SAS logs can be quite challenging depending on the scale that your team operates at. And, you know, it's really limitations on the APIs that make it really hard. You know, uh, we've hit limits so many times on these APIs because people just operate at crazy scales. But the beauty of that is that we recover from it we fix it. And then, you know, everyone else on our platform gets the benefit of that. But one of the biggest challenges, which we could probably talk about later on, is like every single environment is so different that it's very hard as a vendor to just provide perfect, like 100% uptime all of the time. And, you know, we react very quickly. We have an ops team that's like working 24 by 7 to figure things out. And the beauty of that is that we build a huge amount of resiliency in our platform to where eventually you know, we will hit a point where we're very well positioned to really go after any sort of enterprise, no matter what scale they're at, no matter like, you know, how many users they have in their G suite or, you know, whatever it may be. And we've sort of worked out all of these little intricacies of like these different APIs and, and things like that. But the core of our platform is so scalable. It's like blown my mind a lot. Like just the core, like I have a ton of data in S3. I need to feed this somewhere. Like, VPC flow logs, like ALB, Cloudflare, like all these things. Our customers have turned on data sources that were feeding in like 10 terabytes of data per day and like no one noticed because it just worked. And I was so mind blown by that. And this was like a year and a half ago. And I was like, I just can't believe that. Like I would have never been able to do that in stream alert, you know, because I've done that where I fed in a, a VPC flow logs or something and it just broke everything. It just like backed up everything for like days and I was so mind blown from what our team created just in the, that core ability to scale. So anyway, the three things I always come back to, security data lake, cloud native, detection as code. And like those are like the core differentiators that I really think are pushing forward our ability to monitor at scale. I love it. There's so much stuff there. But really, for me, it's what you've done there is obviously you've made it super scalable. You've made a huge amount of data available to people. You've made it super easy for analysts to query. But as a result, 
you're actually giving a huge amount of time back to the security teams, back to the analysts, back to the engineers, where they don't have to spend time investigating why like logs didn't get get loaded in property, or they don't have to try to normalize data, figure out how to index certain fields. And because they don't have to write crazy queries in some esoteric language, what you're doing is you're allowing them to move faster and focus on the things that are much more important, like those queries that are actually yeah, risk reduction for their specific company. As you said, every single company, yeah, every single environment is a little bit different. So you're allowing those engineers and those analysts in that company to protect themselves much or protect their company much better. And yeah, just give them an edge over every other organization. It's really, yeah, it's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. The way I like to say it is focus on security, not operations. There you yeah. go. There you go. Well, and on the future of security operations podcast, that's very, <laughs> very appropriate. Yeah. Like, yeah, do the things that matter and let us take care of all the other things. That's really the essence of what drives me to continue to build for our customers and, and others out there. And I love that you said that at the, you know, you're doing things that you couldn't even have imagined uh, imagine as possible that, you know, this was impossible in stream alert. We've got a lot of, at times you got a lot of engine, uh, the engineering team will ship amazing features and, you know, our CEO own will say things like, oh, I, I like genuinely did not think that would work. That's incredible. And the engineers are always like, you hired us to do this. What do you mean you didn't think this would work? This is the problem we're, we're trying to solve, right? Yeah. Uh, on that, being a CEO, what are some of the great parts of the job? And what are some of the unexpected parts of the job? This is, you know, it's different as a, it's definitely, I can't imagine it was the life you expected as a security engineer when you started your career. Not at all. I, I would have never expected to be a CEO when I was a security analyst, like digging through logs. I would say the the greatest part of my job is somewhat related to actually what you just mentioned, which is the the team coming up with great solutions without your input. That's been one of the best things. And it just goes to show that everyone's perspective adds something so unique to your mission, your product, your business, really everything that you do. And that's why the team is so central and so important to everything. I like to recall Mark Andreessen's post about product market fit, where you need to have a collection of you know a great team, strong product, and a really good market. And I reference that all the time. And in fact, our team is actually laid out somewhat in a similar fashion where we have our edge product and design org, we have our go-to-market org, and then we have our GNA sort of back office org. And it's kind of structured in that same way where it's like product market team. And the team has just absolutely blown me away. And yeah, we wouldn't be where we are without the team. So that's definitely been the the greatest joy for me as a CEO. I mean, to answer the second part of your question about what's unexpected, honestly, like everything is unexpected. You know, the, there's no preparation to be a CEO. It's, you know, you're, you're likely aware as a co-founder and, you know, it's a lot of the same things. There's, there's no way to prepare you to start a company. So I think the highs and the lows and how quickly you go between those two is probably the biggest challenge. And um, just keeping a cool head at all times. That's a really important thing for leaders to do because it your mood as a leader is going to effectively be the mood of everyone else's. And being aware of that is so important. And also learning to let things go is really important as a leader. I don't think that was a challenge for me, to be honest. I think that I gave things away and I sort of trusted my team really well. And I continue to do that just because I recognize that one, I don't want all that in my head all the time. And two, it's like, I'm hiring people to do a job. Like I'm going to empower them to do the best possible job they can do to push us forward. And similar to the idea of everyone has a really strong, unique perspective. Everyone is going to use that perspective 
to come up with a really cool solution that you wouldn't have come up with. And that's a good thing. So all these little learnings have have really come from struggle or come from uncertainty or, or not knowing how to do something. And you know, you, you can figure it out with the right people around. So that's been some good things and some interesting things. But we could obviously, I could talk about this stuff with you for the whole hour because I, I think about it constantly. <laughs> Yeah, so. it's hard not to, but um, I know you're super, you're super considered, and I think there's tons of ways people can follow you along. We'll share some of your share some of your social links uh, later as well. I want to shift back a little bit to security. You kind of mentioned that Airbnb was completely different than Yahoo. That you were like cloud first and cloud native. I think that's a shift that's coming now belatedly to a lot of other companies. But since you, even since you founded Panther, there's been a significant shift in in modern security or modern companies to cloud services and cloud infrastructure. So what advice would you give to security teams thinking about that challenge and some maybe even belatedly thinking about that challenge? That's a good question. I would say like just starting sooner than later and really just jumping in and understanding the, how the threat models are different in a cloud native world. It's probably the best thing to do and don't resist it. It's going to happen eventually. So it's a very strong paradigm shift that we see going to the cloud. And the ways that I was able to learn it were literally just jumping in and building, building security tooling in cloud native and understanding how our application scale and really get like getting a good deep understanding of those primitives because in a lot of ways you need that to defend it. So that's going to be really important. And, and read blogs, like follow people on, follow influencers and people on Twitter, read like postmortems on breaches that happened in the cloud and just start to understand again, the threat model, like look at the minor attack matrix for cloud. That's going to be really helpful and, and sort of shifting your head away from just endpoint based security to, to cloud based security. You're also dealing with like Panda are incredibly lucky to have some extremely sophisticated security teams, like cutting edge security teams. When you're looking at what they're doing, are you able to like assimilate some of their lessons? And if you're, I suppose, giving advice to listeners, what are some of the pieces of advice you'd give to people who are either starting or joining those fast-growing companies and those you know sophisticated security teams today? Yeah, we absolutely take all the learnings that we can get from our customers and we try to identify patterns that we see across all of them and then incorporate that into the product. Mm-hmm. The thing I would suggest is if you're not a developer by any mean, or if you haven't really experimented with coding, I would start because all these teams are moving to that world. And in my opinion, I think the the engineering persona is what's required to really be successful in security going forward. Because we're operating at such a high scale, it just doesn't work anymore to do things manually. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't triage every every finding that looks interesting. You you can't investigate, you know, hundreds of alerts. You have to be able to be really clever about either increasing the fidelity of your detections or increasing the, you know, doing analysis and response, like using product clients, right? Like that involves not software necessarily, but it's the same mindset of software and just having to understand like, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to ask the user that and then make the feedback. Like it's the same exact thing. It's just a slightly simpler interface, right? With times, you know, with Panther, it's you're writing code and it's Python code. You know, Python's a very approachable language. And yeah, I, I would say, Take the time, learn the basics, do some little side projects, and really understand like how to commit code into GitHub and just learn the basics. Like you, you don't have to get, you don't have to be an expert to be successful at this. And it's just going to allow you to be so much more efficient with your time 
And it's going to allow you to really focus on the much more important things in your job. So that's what I would say is like the number one thing on my mind a lot, which is this shift from analysts looking at dashboards to analysts becoming the engineers who are writing automation and they're writing code and you know they're they're actually able to operate at scale. Yeah, it's uh, we are obviously like a, a low code or no code platform, but we actually are. It's just another way of writing code. It's just a, a simpler way of writing code saying, hey, here's how you, here's what the next steps are. And it's not for building those detections, but for those next steps, when an alert comes in, creating that ticket, looking up that IP, deduplicating all that sort of stuff is super, uh, is super easy. But it's, yeah, it's just, it's actually just another way of, uh, it's another programming language, I guess. It's just a little bit more visual. But yeah, you absolutely have to be able to think that way. And if you're thinking about, if you're doing things manually three or four times, you have to start automating those uh, pretty much instantly. If you're thinking about, I suppose, and you definitely are, if you're thinking about security operations in the future, uh, like five years from now, 10 years from now, what do you think like a modern security operations team and security operations will look like? I think it's going to be extremely data-driven. It's going to be very automation-driven. And we'll get much more sophisticated on defending. Mm -hmm. We're sort of in the beginning of that transition right now where because of certain services like Snowflake and AWS Lambda and you know things like that, it's enabled us to operate at a scale that we needed to operate at for quite some time. And I think this shift will happen where we go from, oh man, I only have two weeks of my logs or you know two months of logs to I got two years of logs and I can kick this thing off and search the entire data warehouse for every single trace of this indicator. And that's going to become normal. So I think that in this world where we have all the data to do our jobs, we're going to be able to identify and respond to attacks in a much more prepared fashion. And I do think that, you know, I'm optimistic that we can stop a lot of these breaches that have happened on really basic vectors of attack. But open S3 buckets. It's like, that just shouldn't happen anymore. You know, I think it happens for reasons that are fundamental to just not having the data and not having the platform to do our jobs effectively. And security engineers getting so burned out from that. And we have to learn automation to stay defensive in the future. It's just the volume of data is never going to stop growing. As more things come online to the internet, as new innovations like cryptocurrency become more popular, you know, it's only going to exacerbate this problem of like, you know, scale, ops, cost, like these things. Like we have to fix these fundamental things. And once we fix those fundamental things, then we focus on how do we make these workflows just amazing? And how do we just remove any pain from the security practitioner? And that's exactly what Panther's mission is. It's to make security operations painless. And we can do that by building a platform for security monitoring that's based on cloud native, detection as code, security data lakes, like these things that enable us to then build workflows around these things that we've just done for so many years. So that's the future that I'd like to see come to life. And I believe that we can get there by not just building a great product, but also educating and helping people learn how to stay defensive because it's very non-trivial. And in a lot of ways, these techniques that I've learned through my time as an analyst and engineer are very still tribal like Silicon Valley and you know the more highly sophisticated teams. So it's like, how do we productize some of that and share it for the rest of the world? And I think that'll also help increase the mindshare, like what it actually means to be a defender. Nice. Um, 
I suppose with all that information, with if that's where security operations is going, like Panther has just raised like $120 million here, 150 people now. How are you thinking about building a product to solve that? How, what are some of the features? What are some of the what are some of the things on the roadmap? Yeah, it's a good question. In order for us to get to this place where we have these delightful workflows for security practitioners, it requires a very strong technical base that we effectively just begin to abstract more and more and more and more. So today, Panther is most geared towards the security engineer where they want to jump in, they want to write code, they have a ton of data and they have some custom data sources, et cetera, et cetera. And we just want to be able to make sure that they can get everything in and it will work from a technological perspective. Over time, what we're investing in is three core areas. We want to be quick, scalable, and practical. And quick is just, you know, I don't have to wait for results to come back. I can, you know, quickly onboard my data. I can quickly analyze my data, things like that. Scalable is I can get as much data as I have from any data source. And the practical is how easy is it for me to achieve a security outcome, like ingest my critical logs, like reveal the full extent of a breach. And it's really about these like end-to-end things. So that's the lens that we take when we build our product. And a lot of the features that we have in our roadmap are based on that. So one of the things that we added recently was the ability to enrich data as it streams. And we do that with several providers, the first one being Gray Noise, which we announced publicly about a month ago. And we're doing another one with uh, IP Info. And you know, there's other things kind of like that, right? So being able to have more context in your detection will allow you to have higher fidelity alerting. It'll also help you in response and things like that. So that's one area of practicality that we've added. And then there's other things like, you know, improving our Slack integration and making that much more smart and, you know, bi-directional and things like that. You know, it's just, there's a handful of things that are going to fall into those three categories. But the progression that I want to see is like, we go from just technological improvements to like workflow improvements. There's a lot. And then obviously there's the, the hiring that comes with that. So, you know, the mission of making security operations painless is, is a very hard uphill battle. And we believe that first, by building a strong technological base, it allows us to operate at the scale that we'll need to be defensive on for the next like five, 10 years. And then we just build the workflows on top of it and then just make it even easier for security practitioners to get towards their you know, desired outcomes of ingesting data, analyzing, revealing the extent of a breach, getting alerts to the right people at the right time, or feeding it into automation and having a really strong scaffolding and base platform that other teams can be collaborative in and into automation, even in our platform. You know, like our, we have an API that we shipped recently that's in GraphQL, which is awesome. And you can take automation in times, for example, and you can say, I'm going to run a query in Panther, I'm going to get those results, and then I'm going to do something else with it. So having like all of your security data queryable with an API is awesome. Being able to see your alerts and being able to do so many other things, and that's going to continue to develop over time too. So it's just uh, it's building the basis of a very strong, uh, robust platform that can evolve over time and enable you know both the engineer and then eventually the analyst to be very successful in this platform. I love it. Uh, yeah, incredibly exciting roadmap, but also just giving the analysts the information they need in the places that they need it uh, and removing as much friction as possible. It's uh, fantastic. 
Jack, that's unfortunately all we're going to have time for today. But before we wrap up, if people want to follow your journey, keep up with Panther, where should they go? Probably Twitter. <laughs> if you want to hear about recent updates from the company, our website's panther.com. That's the easiest way to get us. Our Twitter is at runpanther underscore and my Twitter is just at jack underscore naglieri. You also have your own podcast. Slash I do. Ad. Yeah. Detection at scale. Yeah. We have a podcast that we do a few times a month. It's on Spotify, Apple Music. And we talk about various things from running security operations teams to you know various degrees of, of technicality. So I've had on engineers from Snowflake, security engineers from Snowflake, I should say. Uh, I've had uh, CISO of Gusto. I've had the CISO of Dropbox. And you know we've had a lot of really great conversations that have taught me quite a lot about what it's like to be a security leader, be a security practitioner again in different environments and just learn from from more people on the ground. I listened to a bunch of episodes there. They're fantastic. And uh, yeah, thank definitely stealing, stealing one or two ideas for this podcast. <laughs> Jack, thank you again. And we really hope to have you on again in the future. I'd love to. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.